I know who you are. The world is but the surface of the mind, and the mind is infinite. Sometimes you have to lose yourself before you find anything. You are strong. Uh, yeah, strong is good. This whole world is really crazy. People hurting everywhere. Cities dying. Leaders lying. Demons Welcome to the Urban Guru Cafe. This is program number 50. And this week I'm speaking with Peter Brown. Tell me about Peter Brown already. Peter Brown is from California and he's based in the Bay Area. Does Peter hold meetings? Yes, he does. He holds meetings in people's homes. Did you find out who he really is? Yes, I did. I found out who he really is. So who is he? <laughs> ah, the, the mystery. mystery. <laughs> well, the human condition is reality, but typically it's a misunderstood reality. Everything that exists is, of course, reality, because what else would it be made of? How could it be showing up? But when we try and understand it in finite terms, as our human logic and our human semantic conditioning motivates us to do, we necessarily erect these false models, and the models are inherently false because the nature of reality turns out to be infinite, and we're trying to capture it in these finite models. So, of course, there's this vast margin of error. When I'm talking about the human condition, because I was looking at your website and you referred to the human condition and how we're usually suffering, aren't we? Uh, yeah, most often. <laughs> the, the human condition could be described as suffering in those terms. Yeah, the misunderstanding. Because we have these erroneous models of what we are and what the world is, and we act as if those models were true, and we keep, of course, tripping over the fact that they aren't. And so this gap is just an inherent frustration. And you talk about how words are potentially our biggest impediment to seeing the truth. Yeah, I mean, it's arguable whether it's the biggest, but it's certainly up there because... We all have this semantic conditioning, just if for no other reason than just the very structure of language itself. Language is made of nouns and verbs, and nouns imply that there are actual objectively existing fixed objects that have any kind of stability. And there's many different nouns, so that implies there's many different of these objects. And verbs imply that there's different actions and so on and so forth. And it turns out that the way reality works is not actually in accordance with that. Reality could be said to be, just very loosely speaking as a metaphor, more like a dream. In a dream, there's apparent objects and apparent actions, but of course there's no actual objects. When you wake up, you can see nothing was actually there, and you can see there's no actual actions because nothing actually happened. And a similar arguments or, or observations could be made about reality as it turns out to actually be. How do you suggest that we overcome this verbal bias? And yeah. see what our experience actually is. Well, the easiest way is to bypass the whole problem altogether. Don't worry about words, don't worry about ideas, because it turns out, fortunately, that the vast majority of our experience is nonverbal. There's, you know, call them energies that are directly present in our experience in real time, always, 
and the vast majority of these areas are non-conceptual, non-verbal. You know, we have a field of vision, field of hearing, so on and so forth, the five sense fields, a field of mentation, other maybe subtle mental experiences, whatever is in experience or is experience, there's a vast, vast, vast field of directly present phenomena. And the conceptual side of it, the mental side, you know, the, the analytical thinking side of it, the verbal side of it, is, takes up a very small amount of the real estate of this field of experience. And that being the case, all we need to do is notice that fact, go to a non-verbal portion of your experience, and right away it will reveal to you what it is, what it is in its very nature. Why is it that even though people are already that, they don't see the obvious? Well, I think it's because of the way the inherent intelligence functions. Of course, we all know that there's some degree of intelligence, we might say, present in our experience. And this inherent intelligence is actually inherent in reality. It's reality that has intelligence. We don't separately have any intelligence. And in fact, the intelligence that inheres in reality is inconceivably vast and inconceivably powerful. It's what arranges atomic structure and arranges the relationship between all the energies that show up in what we think of as being the galaxy and the universe. It arranges our psychological functioning. It arranges our metabolism. I mean, it's doing this inconceivable amount of detailed interrelationship of phenomena and one of the things it's inherently capable of and inherently does is abstraction it fantasizes it constructs hypothetical models of itself and we all know this from our interpretation and our thinking the problem is that this intelligence also has the potential to be seduced into or be forgetful of the fact that its its hypotheses aren't necessarily objectively true it's like you know the military apparatus of a great country running off hypothetical military scenarios in case they had to invade some other country. They aren't actually at war with that country, but they do a hypothetical scenario, you know, a plan just in case that would come up, and which is kind of analogous to what the inherent intelligence does. It runs off these models about what's going on with it, because fundamentally it can't tell what's happening. It can't tell. I mean, is, this is getting a little metaphorical, but. You might say that reality consists of God trying to find God, and God is inherently infinite and indeterminate, so the search continues. <laughs> so God is very curious about itself, you might say. And this inherent intelligence is investigating itself very actively, as our experience is. So it's spinning off these hypothetical models of, well, maybe, maybe it's like this, maybe it's like that. All of which is fine, as long as it remains hypothetical. But because of the inherent referencelessness of reality and of consciousness and of the intelligence, it can't know for sure that its hypotheses are true or aren't true, and if it happens to fall into the error, which it evidently seems to do quite <laughs> readily, of assuming its hypotheses might be true a little too strongly, falling into belief about these hypotheses, then the intelligence falls into worldview, what might be called identification. It might say, well, you know, one hypothesis is that I am in a body existing in an, in an objectively existing physical universe and this universe is precarious and I have to have some sort of relationship with it and survive and all these sorts of things, which is a, a viable hypothesis. That's one way of interpreting the, the raw data of experience, right? But if the intelligence falls into this as a belief, all of a sudden it starts getting protective, it starts getting uh, reactive, it starts getting emotional. Oh my God! I have this body and this body is going to die, it's susceptible to injury, it's susceptible to sickness, there's other bodies out there and other 
physical entities out there which are potentially harmful to me. I have to get invested in all of these strategizing and functioning and, and pretense in order to try and safeguard myself as much as I can, which might be one description of the typical human situation, right? The typical human psychological worldview. And all of this is based on a hypothesis of which there's no actual evidence. Or I should say there's lots of evidence available, but there's other evidence for other hypotheses that are being ignored. You say life is a dream Where we can't say what we mean Maybe just some roadside scene That we're driving past There's no telling where we'll be In a day or in a week And there's no promises of peace Or of happiness And we build our house of cards And then we wait to fall Always forget how strange it is just to be alive at all So with a lot of the people that are pointing to this that you're telling us about now people are saying things like investigate the you, see if there is a you there, but you're saying something different, you're just saying drop words perhaps, is that kind of what you're saying or just look and see what is there without words? I wouldn't phrase it as, or put it as being in terms of words at all. I'm suggesting actually the opposite of that. Look for the not you and find out what it is because there's plenty of not you present in terms of if you, you, know, you think of you as your personality or your thinking or your body or your, you know, anything whatsoever, uh, some self, what I'm recommending is look at the not self. Look at the light that's present in your consciousness. Look at the sound of the wind in the trees. Um, all of which we typically think of as not us. It's not a psychological part of our being. It seems to be happening on its own. And if you look at what's there, outside of your definitions, to, you know, to sort of look at it openly and nakedly without thinking you know what it is, to sort of be with it, then you will see what it is. And if you see what it is, it will also trickle down. You will see what you are because you are that same thing. You are fundamentally a mysterious energy spontaneously appearing within a mysterious consciousness and this will become self-evident. And all our thinking and all our worldviews and all our self-image and all of that is the same thing. It's a mysterious energy mysteriously appearing, spontaneously appearing in this mysterious consciousness. So actually it's more of a lazy man's approach. Instead of tackling the problem, I do an end run on it and just go to where the problem isn't and see what's there and you may learn something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it can get quite confusing for people when they're told, look and see, is there a you? When you look to see, there isn't, there isn't there, and, and they're actually pointing to exactly the same space that you're pointing to now. 
Yeah, of course. Yes, but it can get very confusing for people when they say, well, who is this you that's going to look back and see? But I, I like the simplicity of the way you deliver this. Yeah. I mean, the problem with looking at a you is it's a little sloppy in terms of what that specifically means because our sense of ourselves is so bound up in semantic concepts and in subliminal psychological self-images and these sorts of things that you're diving right into the thick of the mess with no you know, yardstick or no sense of proportion. I mean, ultimately, anything you look in will reveal reality because reality is what everything is made of. It has to be made of reality or it couldn't appear. You know, there has to be a substance there, even if it's misinterpreted and misunderstood. The substance through which anything appears has to be real or it wouldn't appear. So looking at anything will reveal reality, but it's a matter of more or less confusing techniques, more or less protracted techniques. You are listening to the Urban Guru Cafe. But this is a specific example of what I'm talking about in general. When I say generally, go to a portion of your experience where you don't really have a clear concept of what it is, and in that contextlessness, see what presents itself and you see what it tells you about itself. And this one particular exercise, for example, is to close your eyes and look at the pattern of apparent light that appears on, on your eyelids. Notice how it appears, notice how it's being perceived, other than thinking, oh, it's random firings of the neurons in the back of my eye or something. If you don't think of it in those terms, and just experience the presence of it. There's a light presence in consciousness, and this light is patternless, and yet at the same time, it has a vitality, it has an undeniable presence, and the consciousness it's perceiving it is also undeniably present. If you notice these things and then open your eyes, for example, you may notice that, my gosh, what I'm seeing with my eyes open with all this apparent patterning is exactly the same thing, little flashes of light. These tricks aren't necessarily definitive paths. They're all just ways of exploring that our experience is actually very different than we're used to thinking of it. And it's possible to notice this by noticing our experience directly. And again, the easiest way to do this is to go to some area of experience that is beyond something you usually think about. Another trick that I work with people sometimes is I have them notice the reflections of the sun on, like for example, on passing cars or on parked cars. Sometimes you'll drive up behind a car in the bright sunlight and the sun will just be blinding you off the, reflected off the rear window or something. And if you look at that light, you don't know what it is. You can't say what, I mean, you, you can say, oh yeah, it's sunlight reflecting off a car, but the actual experience of what is there, you can, you're looking at light, you're seeing light, but you don't know what light is, and yet it is nakedly present before you, and you can go into that naked presence and let it show you what it is on a nonverbal, very direct, you might say, energetic way, and there's an undeniable presence in consciousness of this astounding energy and we can see this energy very nakedly. And it's not an energy you can get a handle on. It's not an energy you can easily, you know, put a definition on. And again, 
the more you go to these kinds of experiences, the more you can notice that all of our experience is actually constituted of the same indefinable, absolutely, essentially transcendental energy mysteriously appearing in this mysterious consciousness. Color. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anything, you know, any, I mean, we're talking about sensory experiences here, but the same thing can apply to mental experience. But just noticing the actual presence of any experience as a presence, not as, oh, I'm looking at a color of paint on the wall, but just there's, this, there's a presence and it's in your consciousness. You know it's in your consciousness or you wouldn't be experiencing it. So what is it that's present? I don't mean thinking of it analytically or thinking of it at all, just experience this presence, experience it as a presence. It has presence. Our experience is dynamically present. We don't have to go out and get it and grab it and pull it in. It jumps into our experience. It jumps into our consciousness. And this presence has quality. It reveals what it is if we are with it openly and non-analytically. Can we do the same thing with thoughts? Look at our thoughts that way? Because Absolutely. thoughts can be quite mesmerizing and distracting from that, can't they? So yeah. do, do you have some sort of exercise that lets us do something like that? Absolutely. It's the same thing. But with thought, it's more tricky, perhaps, because we're used to going to the supposed meaning of the thought. But thought isn't just the meaning. Thought isn't just the definitions and the ideas. If you look at what thought actually is in real time, Thought is the presence of a mysterious energy in your consciousness. How do you know you're thinking? You wouldn't know you're thinking unless something was showing up, right? Something was appearing in your consciousness. Some, you know, it's subtle, these waves of subtle energies or whatever. I mean, I don't, they're hard to characterize in words. But something is there when we're thinking. And if we go to that something on a structural basis, on a substantial basis, what is the substance 
that this thought is made of? What is it is presenting itself in consciousness? How is it appearing? So you look at the thought structurally and, and substantially in terms of the substance that it consists of, rather than going right to the, the semantic content of, oh, there's this idea and that idea, and I'm thinking about this, and you know, so on and so forth. So again, you go to the energy that is actually present. If you're having any experience, what's really happening is there's some energy being present in consciousness, right? And then the interpretation of that energy being present, whether it's a sensory experience, so-called sensory experience or so-called thought or whatever, it's an overlay, it's a conceptual overlay over the prime fact of the presence of this energy. And since this energy is actually present in consciousness, we can see what it is because it's here. It's, so it's accessible. We can just go to it and let it show us what it is. Of course, it will show us non-verbally and it will show us perhaps irrationally, but it can reveal itself to consciousness because it's one with consciousness. You use the word irrationally. What do you mean in that context? Because usually irrational means still something kind of of meaning that has no meaning. <laughs> I mean exactly that. There is a meaning, but it's not a meaning that makes sense in any human terms or that you can possibly verbalize or even allude to in poetry or something like that. The energy has content, it has meaning, it has profundity, it has depth. I mean, in these, I'm speaking metaphorically here when I use these words, but you can discover this fact for yourself directly just by noticing these present energies as consciousness. to the Urban Guru Cafe. The Urban Guru Cafe is produced in Australia. There are people who go after your humanity who tell you that the light in your heart is a weakness. Don't believe it.